Well, if you take your Bibles, please, and find the book of James. Let's pick up where we left off this morning, uh, James chapter 1. And we're going to pick up with verse 19. And where we're picking up tonight begins in the next new section. Uh, the Verses 2 through 18 address the issue of trials and wisdom in trials and money in trials and, and how to live and wage war against sin. Now we begin to pick up a section from chapter 1, verse 19, through chapter 2, verse 26, where we address the issue of Christian living, the evidence of genuine Christian uh, Christian faith in your life. And so would you stand to honor the reading of God's Word for these few verses and then remain standing for a moment of prayer as we ask the Holy Spirit to move upon us while we understand God's written Word better. The Word of God reads, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the Word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Again, we thank you that you've left us a sure testimony of what is your will and how we ought to live that out. I pray, God, that we would be encouraged tonight and that we would be edified tonight by rightly understanding the word of God. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first question of the larger catechism is, what is the chief end of man? And getting the answer right is very important. A lot of people say the chief end of man is to glorify God. That's not the right answer. The answer is the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. It's not just to glorify God. It is to glorify God and to enjoy God forever. That's why we exist. If we, would, if we could really begin to grasp what that means, that we live, we exist, we're on this planet to, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, it would free us from a great deal of the stress that we have in our life. Because many people say that, and they know the answer to the catechism question, but they don't live that way. I do not mean that we live decadent, immoral, godless lives, but I do mean that we have a tendency to lose sight that our chief end and our chief purpose in life is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. It's not to be the most successful business owner, which there's nothing wrong with being a successful business owner. It's not to be the best employee. It's not to have the biggest farm. It's not to have the biggest house. Not to have the most toys. Not to be wealthy. It's to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's, that's, that's really the same thing that James is saying to us tonight in verse 20, where he says, For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. He says that in verse 20 after telling you, he tells you to be, he says to you in verse 19, he says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry, because anger does not achieve the righteousness of God. In other words, the purpose of our life is to achieve the righteousness of God or to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. James tells us in verses 19 and 21 that we are to live for the glory of God. And he tells us how to do that. In verses 19 through 226, he's going to address these evidences of what true faith is, what it looks like in our life. You know, Paul says to examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. There are, there are evidences that we can have in our life that say that we're in the faith. Now, we can all we can all pretend to be something sometime. But what you really are eventually always comes out. Who you really are eventually always comes out. Have you ever laid ever ever had tile laid in your house? Not ceramic tile, but linoleum tile, whether it be peel and stick or whether it be something you have to glue down. Well, I've laid a lot of tile. When I worked for Mid America Seminary when I was in school, 
I laid a bunch of tile as a maintenance man. And one thing that I found was I found this. I found that if that floor was not absolutely perfectly clean, if there was any pebbles on that floor at all, no matter how small they were or how insignificant they seemed, if I put the glue on the floor and I put the tile on the floor, the pebble always came through the tile. It might take months for it to happen, but you could go back months later and you could see that pebble sticking to that tile because it was going to make itself known. What you are and who you are always eventually makes itself known. You can fool some of the people some of the time, or all the people some of the time, and some of the people all the time, but you never fool God. You never fool God. And you never fool everyone all the time. Eventually, what you are and who you are comes to the surface. Tonight's text, James is giving us five disciplines to master so that we can grow into the righteousness of God. That's what he does. He gives us five disciplines to master. Now, most of us are not very... We don't find the, the term discipline to be a very favorable term. We all talk about dis self-discipline, discipline of child-rearing, being a... Are you a disciplined person? You know, some people are more disciplined than others. I'm a structured person. I'm a task-oriented person. I thrive on a schedule. You give me a schedule and I'll break... I'll, just, I'll tell you what, I'll break my neck to meet it. I, I mean, I'm a, just a task-oriented person. I don't know if that's something that I got as a child or if that's something that the Army really taught me because I went in the army when I was 17 and so I really became a man in there I don't know where I got it but that's where I'm at and when I was in seminary and in college and I was not doing before I did my doctrinal work in my regular school work I breezed through it I just flew right through it because I had a schedule it was read this book and do this report it was read this book and take this test it was be in this class at this time it was just bang bang it's, I'm the kind of guy that's got a checklist and I got to check them off you know when I got into my doctrinal studies, there wasn't, it wasn't like that. It was very much self-paced. It was very much, you know, this is what you got to eventually get done. And I found it a great big struggle to be able to finish my work. Now, I did have a lot of help because I, ha I had a size 9 woman's shoe squarely planted in the middle of my back. And every time I began to slow down, the heel would dig in deep. And I'm thankful to God. And I'm thankful to God for that because I needed that, I needed that structure, if you know what I mean. Okay? Uh, how do you, how do you become a, how do you become a well-rounded, God-glorifying, righteous person. Well, let me tell you something. It doesn't happen by accident. Do you know that? It won't happen by accident. You can want to be righteous all you want, but if you don't do something about it, you're not going to be. You can want to be holy. You can want to be holy all you want, but if you don't do something about it, I'm not talking about positional holiness that you get when you are saved and you're baptized into Christ. I'm talking about that. I'm talking about that that ongoing work of sanctification in your life. It doesn't happen just because you want it to happen. You have to do something about it for it to happen. You have to wage a war. You have to discipline yourself. Donald Whitney's book, The Disciplines of the Christian Life, is a great, it's a great book to read annually. You can read it in about a couple of hours. It's not very big. It's easy, it's an easy book to read. And he talks about the disciplines that we should have. Well, tonight, James gives us five disciplines that should, that should characterize our life. The first discipline that he gives us is the discipline of being quick to hear. Notice what he says in verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone, everyone, everyone means there are no exceptions. doesn't matter whether you're a preacher or a disc jockey. You know, you ever get into a conversation with a, a guy who works on the radio? You don't really get into a conversation with him. You can just, just, just do this. Because he ain't never going to be quiet, see? But you know what? If he's a Christian, there is a time for him to be quiet. I have to go down in October to do my oral exam. Somebody said to me, you won't have any problem if it's oral. <laughs> I don't know what they meant by that, do you? <laughs> James says one of the disciplines that we should strive for is to be quick to hear. 
quick to hear. What are we to listen to? Well, I think that contextually there are two things that we're to listen to. Look at verse 18 again from this morning. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by, notice the next phrase, the word of truth. The gospel. See that? Look at verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word, receive the word implanted. What are we to be quick to hear? We are to be quick to hear the word of God. We should be quick to hear the word of God. Now, I titled tonight's message, God's your father, his word's your mother. It's interesting how God has ordained the family to be about, and he's given us husbands and wives, and, and, and in the, and in the healthy, environment that God wants children to be reared, there's a husband and there's a wife. And I want to tell you that one of the most liberating, one of the most liberating truths that I learned as a Christian husband was that I am supposed to be the man in my marriage. And I'm supposed to be strong and I'm supposed to be tough and I'm supposed to be the provider and I'm supposed to be the protector. That's the way God's ordained it to be. See? And the wife is supposed to be the nurturer. And the wife is to be the, the comforter. And she's to be the softer side. And you know what's beautiful about the way that God has planned things? The way that He's planned things is, is that if you have a Christian home with a husband and a wife, you rear children with a perfect balance like a teeter-totter. They get the strong, firm side of a father, and they get the compassionate, nurturing side of the mother, and that makes them a well-balanced human being. That's the way God intended for it to be. Now, I, I'm working from from the from the from the understanding that the moms are raising their kids. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, if you're working outside and you didn't get a chance to do that, I'm sure that you wish that you could. In fact, I've never met a woman who works outside the home that has children. I've not met one yet that's not said to me, I wish that I could stay home. And for whatever reasons, because, because you know what? A lot of families today just have to have two incomes to make ends meet. I realize that. But it does not take away from the fact that God intends for there to be in the home to be a healthy environment. He intends there to be the role of the man and the role of the woman. Okay? Now let me tell you this. In our relationship with God, He is our Father. So then where is our mother? It's the Word of God. Who does the most talking to the children? The mother does. Why does she do the most talking to the children? Because she's with them the most. Because she's at home with them. Because she's there when they get up. She's there to feed them breakfast. She's there to feed them lunch. She's there to make sure that they pick up their room no matter how many times they got to be told to do so. She's there to do all of those things throughout the day. The dad is away. He's working. He comes home later at night. He has some interaction with the children. But by far, if the mother is in the home, the father has a fraction of the interaction with the children that the mother has. You know what? God comes to us through the person of the Holy Spirit and He saves us and He intercedes in us and He works in us. But do you know where God speaks to us every single day? Every day of our life, God will speak to you if you want Him to speak to you. He'll do it in His Word. You say... Have you ever had those times where you've had that, that, that experience with God? You know, most of you that know, know me by now, you know that I'm not, I'm really, I'm really leery of the ex, experience side of faith because I think it's been very much abused. So I'm leery of it. I, I welcome it. I'm like Jonathan Edwards. I want white hot, passionate theology that's on fire. But at the same time, I want to make sure that it's grounded so I'm guarded with that, you see? Well, let me tell you how you can have God speak to you every day be in His Word every day. You know, when I read through the book of Genesis a couple of years ago, as I read through it annually, I got through the book of Genesis and, uh, and I marked the number of times that God spoke to Abraham. You know, Abraham lived, he, he walked with God for about 75 years from the time that God met him when he was 75 years old to the time that he died. And I marked the number of times and I averaged it out and it was about an average. I didn't say exact, okay? So don't meet me after the service and say, let me show you right. I said an average, okay? 
It's about an average of once every 10 years God spoke to Abraham. Now, I've, I've not been in the faith for 20 years yet. So if I were walking on the same pattern that God did with Abraham, then I would have an experience, a, 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 an experience with God like that, of that magnitude, I would have had one so far in my Christian walk. But you know what? God can speak to you and to me every single day through His Word, if you will let Him. His Word, His Word never, it's never boring. You may know the basic structure because you've read your Bible through one or two times, but let me tell you something. There's 66 books in this book. It's 66 individual books that make up one Bible, 39 old and 27 new. And you know what? They're fresh whenever you read to them. And God speaks to us when we read through them. And so when James says, you need to be quick to hear, the first thing that we need to be quick to hear is we need to be quick to hear the Word of God. Quick to listen to the Word of God. Let me tell you what else we need to be quick to listen to. We should be quick to listen to others as well. Are you a listener? You know, do you, you know anybody? Do you have anybody that you talk to? Or, or oh, let me put it another way: Do you have anybody that you no longer talk to because they weren't good listeners? You know anybody that when you're having a conversation with them, they're not listening to you; they're just waiting for their chance to talk. What happens is, is that when you're talking, if you pause for a second to gather your thoughts of what you're saying, and they jump right into it. Now, Adam has a way to keep that from happening. What Adam does when you're talking to him so that he, you won't interrupt him is he'll, he'll, he'll get to the point where he has a thought and he'll go, mm, 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 um. you don't dare interrupt that. Because see, what's going on is that the mind's moving and the thoughts are trying to get caught up and that's him talking to you. And his language is, don't interrupt me yet, I'm not done. Do you know anybody who's not a good listener? You know, I've, I've had friends of mine that I've tried to talk to in the past before and I love them and they love me and they care about me and I care about them. But I have some friends that are just not good listeners. You know what? We should all strive to be a good listener. Listen. Especially when somebody's pouring their heart out to you. You know what? What helped me also a long time ago in the pastorate was this. I realized about seven or eight years ago that when people talk to me as their pastor, they don't always expect me to have the answer. Sometimes they just want me to listen. Isn't that the case a lot of the times? Isn't that the case with you too? Don't you ever talk to somebody who, who is a friend or a brother or sister in Christ and it isn't that you expect them to give you some, some earth-shattering answer. Sometimes all you want is someone to just listen and sometimes all you need for them to do is put their hand on your shoulder and say, I understand or I care about you and I'm going to pray for you. Sometimes that's all we need. Now, when I was younger in ministry, I used to think that I always had to have an answer. So while they're talking, I'm racking my brain thinking, sometimes thinking, oh my goodness, I don't have a clue what to answer. And then I realized that sometimes they don't need an answer. Quick to listen. The writer of Proverbs said this, where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. You know what the point of that is? See, quick to hear and slow to speak. That's going to be the next one here in a minute. You see, where there are many words, transgressions are unavoidable. Why is that? Because you have a tendency to say things that you shouldn't say the longer you talk. Right? Especially if you're having a conversation about something that's not redemptive. You ever had those conversations when they were over, you were walking away saying, I wish I hadn't said that? If I would have left 30 seconds sooner, I wouldn't have said that? James is saying, discipline yourself to be quick to listen. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 
Again, in Proverbs 17, 27 and 28, He who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's considered prudent. Do you think that there's maybe a divine plan that when God gave us two ears and one tongue? Maybe we should be listening twice as much as we're talking. If you're going to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, you must learn to be a listener. You must learn to listen. That's a discipline that we must gain. Another one that we should gain, James says, is to be slow to speak. Now, we already see that we have a problem because most of the world is quick to speak and slow to listen. And the Bible says we're to be quick to listen and slow to speak. How different is the spirit of our age where there's this emphasis on expressing your feelings and letting everything hang out. And here we have James telling us to be slow to speak. You know, we live, we live in a day where there seems to be, there seems to be no concern to restrain your feelings. I, I hear things said by family, my, my birth family, my blood family, and by church family members. I hear things said in meetings sometimes. When I, what I want to say to some people is, what makes you think that you can talk to people like that? Do you know anybody like that? They get angry, and because they're angry, they say things that they shouldn't say. Are you that kind of a person? Are you the kind of person that when you get angry, you begin spewing things out of your mouth that you shouldn't say? I'm not necessarily talking about curse words. I'm just talking about using your tongue to just cut somebody up and just, just raw at people. When the truth of the matter is, if we would be quicker to listen and slower to speak, we'd have less to repent of. James says, hey, Christian, the Christian is quick to listen and slow to speak. I've adopted a principle a couple of years ago, about 10 years ago, that said this. When I get angry and I can wait because it's not, one, not going to cost anybody a bunch of money or no one's going to get hurt or nothing's going to fall apart, I wait. I try to wait 72 hours before I address a situation that's made me angry so that I can think rationally. Because if I get emotional in my th thinking patterns, then I begin to speak out of emotion. And before you know it, you've said something that you're sorry you said. James has got a pretty good handle on things here, doesn't he? Hey, Christians, be quick to hear and slow to speak. Now, you know that he's not commending, he's not commending this, these, these people who don't ever speak. James is not exhorting us to take vows of silence. How would a Christian who goes, who has the good news to tell every person that he, that he meets about, about Christ, how can he do that if he takes a vow of silence? We're urged to exhort one another daily while it's still called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. In the days of Israel, we're told that those that feared the Lord spoke often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. There are truths that need to be constantly brought forward. Who will bear witness to them if we're completely silent? The issue is not that we're to be silent. The issue is that we're to be slow to speech. Not slow in speech, slow to speak. Think about what you have to say. There is such an enmity as a guilty silence for which many of us cowards are aware of. See, it's sometimes it's a sin to not speak. Sometimes you should speak up and you should say, hey, listen, this is a wrong that's being done. Sometimes you should be silent. We should be careful about how it is that we pass judgment on others. We should be care about some, we should be careful about some of the things that we say. James is concerned here about blurting out words thoughtlessly. He's concerned about being the kind of person who always has something to say about everything. You know anybody like that? 
know anybody that doesn't know the words, I don't know? You ever know, you know anyone like that? You ever want to say to them, hey, I'm just curious, when you were in grade school, did anybody ever introduce you to this little phrase that says, I don't know? Sometimes it's okay to say, I don't know. In fact, to not say it and to say something else sometimes is sin. Slow to speak, quick to hear. We need to discipline ourselves to be slow to speak and quick to hear. That's what true Christianity does. Jesus said, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. There's an old saying, many a man has had to repent of speaking, but never one of holding his peace. You ever heard that? James's concern is that we might never be rash, but speak when we are duty clear, and then carefully weigh what we're going to say. Again, Proverbs 17, 28. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he, when he closes his lips, he's considered prudent. Be slow to speak, especially when you're making judgments about people's behavior or doctrines. Slow to speak. I'll tell you that the longer I grow in Christ, the more compassion I have for those that get caught in sin that they're not willing to repent of. I want to give people grace because I want grace from God. I need grace from God. I'm amazed of how sinful I can still be at times. And I have to go before God's throne and get grace. And so I want others to have grace too. When we pass judgment upon others, we're suggesting how far above them we are. You know that, right? When we dispense moral judgments, we acknowledge ourselves to be moral men. When we say, he's so careless, what we're implying is that we're careful. He's careless and I'm careful. When we pass judgment, we say, I don't like his pride. What we're saying is, is we're saying, I'm a humble person and I can't stand pride. Be careful about passing judgments. Be careful about the things that you say. Discipline your speech. Third thing that he says is that we're to be slow to anger. Notice that James does not say we're to forbid anger. Some people have wrongly interpreted the Scripture to say that we're never supposed to pass a judgment. Who are you to judge somebody who's in sin? Well, the Bible says that we're supposed to do that. We're not supposed to give self-righteous judgment. We're not supposed to judge the speck in our brother's eye when there's a log in our eye. We're not supposed to say to the guy, we're not supposed to say to the guy who's speeding every once in a while, and we see him speeding, but we're living with our girlfriend out of wedlock, and we say, hey, listen, you're a Christian, what are you doing speeding? That guy's going to look at you like, you got to be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. That's the kind of judgment the Bible warns against. We're not to be kind of, some kind of a hypocritical self-judge, but we are to make judgments as the body of Christ to help one another. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 7, in the first part of the chapter there, on the Sermon on the Mount. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5. He said, why don't you judge the person that's immoral? Don't you know that you're gonna judge the angels when you die? Listen, we are to make judgments, but not self-righteous judgments. And you know what else? There are times when we should be angry. But the problem is that few of us ever have legitimate anger. Almost every one of us in this room, I would be willing to say, when we get angry, we're not angry because of sin. We're not angry because God's name is being blasphemed. We're not angry because the name of Christ and His church is being harmed. We get angry when our name gets harmed. We get angry whenever we have something said about us. That's not righteous indignation. That's self-righteous indignation. A husband is justified in being angry when someone violates his wife in word or deed. Parents are righteously have right to be angry whenever somebody harms or introduces drugs or some kind of some kind of harmful environment to your children. That's, you have a right to be angry. But the anger is never to turn to bitterness. Paul says in Ephesians, be angry and sin not. 
Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Now that, listen, some people have taken that to mean that if you and your wife have a disagreement, you can't go to bed until you, until you, until you work out the agreement. Well, there's a problem with that. Number one, you're misunderstanding the analogy that's used by the Bible writers when they say, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. The analogy is, what if, well, let me ask you this question for those of you that think that that's literal. What do you do if the sun's already down when you get into a fight? Oh, we're in trouble. The sun's down and we're fighting. We can't fight right now. Let's hold off till tomorrow and we'll pick us up tomorrow when the sun's up and then we'll settle it before the sun goes back down. The point of that is, don't let anger roll on and on and on. The point of that is, is move for a quick resolution as quick as possible. Don't be the kind of person that sits and sulks and sours. Communicate. Talk out your feelings. Work it out. But you know what? You can do more damage by trying to bring a quick solution because you think that you're violating Scripture if you don't, if you don't answer the problem before you go to bed or before the sun goes down. There needs to be genuine reconciliation and communication. But be slow to anger. But when you do get anger, angry, and if it's a right anger, then work it out biblically. The sin, <clears throat> the sin of anger, uh, the sin of anger it easily comes upon those that we see in the Bible. Cain was angry with Abel about an envy about Abel's sacrifice, so he kills him. Moses fell into the nationalistic hatred when he saw a taskmaster beating a fellow countryman in Egypt, and he murdered the Egyptian. Again, if our pride, if our pride is hurt, we fall into anger. Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more help for a fool than for that man. Proverbs twenty nine twenty. I try to read the Proverbs. I try to read them all the time. I read the Proverb of the Day all the time. I read them to my kids. And we try to pick one out, you know. Proverbs are great, especially when you're reading them to the kids. Like when you read the Proverb, it says, as a gold ring and a pig's nose, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. Read that to your five-year-old. And they look at you like, huh? Why would anybody put a, a ring in a pig's nose? That's the point. You see, Proverbs are packed full of wisdom. But do you know what Proverbs talk about over and over and over? It talks about wisdom in our speech and in our behavior. Be slow to anger. Slow to speak. Be quick to hear. As a husband who clams up and will not apologize to his wife for an angry outburst before they go to sleep has also fallen into a wicked anger. Wicked anger. Because you will not communicate. You may have to have some time to communicate. It may not get resolved in one day. But the important thing is, is that as a Christian that you understand that you are obligated to work for reconciliation. James says, all right, Christians, get a right view of trials and then strive. Look at what he says. Strive for the righteousness of God. And how do you do that? We've learned three ways that we do it already from the previous verse. We do it by being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. The next two come in verse 21. Put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. That's one thing. That's one, that's one, that's one discipline. It's this. Put away filthiness and wickedness. Put it away is literally means take it off. In the Greek, it's the same word that's used for disrobing. It's the same word that was used in Zechariah chapter 3 whenever Satan was before the throne of God and he was accusing Joshua the high priest. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel, and he spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. That's the exact same wording that James used here, where he says in verse 21, Put aside all 
filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. And by the way, if you have a modern translation, it has a, it's an ing ending. It's an indicative ending. Putting aside. It means this. It means that we have to be constantly putting aside these things. I, I, I like you. I, I know that you wish the same thing. I wish that when we came to faith in Christ, that we, when God saved us and He put His Spirit in us, I just wish that He just corrected all of our idiosyncrasies and all of the things that are wrong with us. If you don't know what's wrong with you, come see me. I'll help you find some things. Lots of you help me to find things that are wrong with me. Some of you point things out that are wrong with me that I thought were okay with me. But obviously not. they're all, all okay. So you would say to me, take this thing off. Take this thing off. James says this, if you're going to achieve the righteousness of God, you have to be constantly putting off filthiness and the wickedness that remains in your life. Constantly putting them off. Recognizing them. Never giving in. Hating your sin. Buffeting yourself. Doing whatever it takes to be putting it off. The verb tense of James' command to put away filthiness and whatever remains of wickedness suggests to the Christian that it's a lifelong process. It's a lifelong battle. Glorifying God and enjoying Him forever is a constant battle in this life of putting away the sin that so easily entangles you. Putting it away. Listen, I know that you're just like me, that there are some things in your life that you just seem to have to repent of over and over and over. I don't know why that is. But I know this, don't give up. Because there are other areas in my life where God has broken my heart after, after months or years of struggle and He's taken them away. Listen, don't give up. Don't ever get to a point in your life where you say, you know what, this is just who I am. It's not who you are if you're a born-again Christian. It's different than who you are. You know what, if you're a born-again Christian, you have the seal of God in you. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. And the reason why you feel conviction for what you're doing and you cannot be content in your idiosyncrasies that you know are sin is because God dwells in you. So put it off. Put it away. Repent from it. And if you fall, then get up, take it off, repent from it. And do it over and over and over and over and wage the war. Because here's good news and here's bad news. My Bible says if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. We're going to be confessing our sin until the day that we die because even though we've been redeemed and born again, we are still sinners in this flesh. That's why Paul says that the mortal, the flesh and blood, cannot inherit the things of God. We can't go to heaven like this unless there's a transformation that takes place. And the transformation is, is that this old, this old body that was born in Adam has to be raised in Christ. I, I you know I can't wait to see what that's going to look like. Some of you might not recognize me when I get to heaven. And I might not recognize some of you either. Whenever we get to heaven and we're perfect and we're not selfish and we're not self-centered, but until then, we're to be putting off these things in our life. We're to be quick to hear, slow to speak. We're to be slow to get angry. And we're to be constantly putting things off. Now listen, that's, that's negatives. Those are negatives. Now we're going to end on a positive note. Because notice what he says next. Notice what he says last in verse 21. He says, remains of wickedness and humility. Then he says this, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. You see that word implanted? Didn't that paint a picture for you? What do you do? What do you do in the spring in your garden? You till up that garden and you till those leaves under and you till in that, that fertilizer and then you make you some rows and then you take some plants that you've bought and you plant them. And you know what? If you don't plant them, you're not going to have a garden. What do you think James is telling us here about the Word of God? He's telling us just what I said in the beginning. We've come full circle. When I said we're to be quick to hear, what are we to hear? We're to hear the Word of God. What are we to be implanted with? We're to be implanted with the Word of God. 
It has to be artificially implanted in your life every day. You know why? Because you leak. And I leak. We need to be implanted with the Word every day. The Christian must not think that he's done with the Word of God after he or she is converted. The Word of God is to become a permanent, uh, inseparable part of the Christian, a commanding and guiding presence which eventually results in the salvation of your soul. I'm not saying that we keep implanting the Word and then maybe we'll be saved. I'm saying that we keep implanting the Word and keep implanting the Word and we keep implanting the Word and then there's going to be a day when we're going to die and all of that Word that's been implanted and it's been worked out in our life is going it's going to reap some reward with God in heaven. And the reward is not your salvation because that was a gift. But there's going to be some rewards given out for those that have lived faithfully and implanted the Word. I don't know about you, but when I go to a birthday party, I like to have a gift to bring with me when I go to a birthday party. And I'll be honest with you, I like to bring, I like to bring something that they're going to open up and say, wow, that's a great gift. My kids go to a birthday party. I like for them to get something for the other kid, for the other child that they're going to open it up and say, man, I'm glad Seth Shields came to my birthday party or I'm glad Lydia Shields came to my birthday party or if I come to yours, I like to do it that way. Well, you know what? It's no different when I go to the party Jesus is going to have when He has His church present. I want to have some gifts to bring. See, I got the invitation for free, but I want to have some gifts to bring. I want to be able to say, Jesus... Thank you for inviting me and letting me have this robe of righteousness that your son purchased for me. And I want you to know, Lord, that I didn't waste my time or talent that you gave to me. And here's what I have to bring to you, my Savior, who's given me eternal life. These are my gifts. You know how you're going to get those gifts? Let the Word of God be implanted in you so that just like that garden that you plant in the springtime, it can produce cherry tomatoes in your life and fresh green beans and cucumbers and watermelons and zucchini, and it can bring all of this, all of this stuff can be produced in your life by having the Word of God implanted in you regularly. James is pleading with us here to accept the Word. Welcome its presence. Be strengthened and educated by it. Read the Bible and sit and sit under the best ministry you can and read the finest books that will help you. I am so grieved when I hear preachers talking about how little reading they do. I was ignorant and God called me. I'm getting ignorant and ignorant every day. God is not glorified by that. God is not glorified by that. Now, my Bible says study. My Bible says rightly divide the word of truth. Study to show yourself approved is what my Bible says. God gave you a mind. Do you know how much, you know how much above all of the other creation that we human beings are with our, with our brains and our logic and our reason and our ability to communicate and all that God has created us in His image a little lower than God and we're created in this image of God and He's given you the mind and He's given you the Word of God. Be a student of the Word. Don't ever give up or give in because it's hard. Everything in life that is worth something is hard. Isn't it? Raking leaves is easy, but all you get is leaves. Digging is hard, but that's where you find diamonds. So work hard and implant the Word. Do not resist the Word, and then the Word will lead you into new thoughts, and they in turn into new habits that move into your life from within. The key to change is your willingness to accept the planted Word. Only a person in whose life the Word is planted, the Word of God is planted, is capable of overcoming a single sin. And plant the Word. Listen, Christians, rejoice in the trials that God has given you. Ask for God's wisdom on how to get through those trials. Recognize that money is not the answer to your trials. Recognize that the good gifts from heaven come from God. And then start working on being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, putting off every day filthiness and wickedness, and putting on every day 
the implanted Word of God and you will grow in grace and you will glorify God and you will enjoy Him forever.